Welcome to Before the Pitch, where you can love New York baseball no matter what shade of blue you're wearing. We are your best baseball podcast for all things New York Mets, New York Yankees, and youth educational baseball. So let's see what we got going on tonight. I am Billy. And I am Scott, and you guys can feel free to follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and pretty soon Facebook, where we're getting that all up and running. We are joined by our third co-host, Coach Chris. Coach Chris, how are you? Good, guys. Good to see you again. You know, we've got a bunch of topics to cover. Been a busy, busy day in Major League Baseball and the sports world. Obviously, the postponement of the start of our season, what that means, um, not only at the pro level, but the college level, the high school level, so on and so forth. Um, and I think it's a great time to get into, you know, what baseball means to all of us, some guys that we followed growing up, uh, role models that we look up to, things like that. And, um, you know, I think we can start talking about, you know, since we're going to have some time off, let's go back through our history a little bit. And the biggest the biggest history before the Astros scandal for us was always the steroid era. So now that those guys are starting to become Hall of Fame eligible, how does that fall into place? So I'm really excited for tonight's show, guys. For sure. I can't wait. Um, some of those guys are the guys that really got us into baseball. Um, we all grew up during that era. So some of those guys we looked up to at the times and it comes down to how do we react to the past and how do we in retrospect really, uh, really, digest what it meant for the people who were our idols at the time to almost take a fall from grace a little bit and uh it gets a little complicated to an extent what do you think scott it's it's very difficult for someone in my position to let go of certain people emotionally and i consider alex rodriguez someone who it's very very difficult for me to let go of now alex rodriguez is a very interesting case because he um really shows the power of um wait what's it called what's the word i lost the word um forgiveness forgiveness yes thank you thank you um i, I don't know why i couldn't <laughs> think of that word i could think of that word for it's some a reason. hard word for yeah, you sometimes he, he really shows like well, what happens if if you do take the right opposed and approach and most importantly there is forgiveness in the world for everyone Mm-hmm. in some way if you do the right things to make up for it and when you look at the steroid era it's a lot of who took the best steps to help themselves out and who d- dug themselves into deeper ditches now a rod dug himself into a much deeper ditch and he he, he got a hand to the guy that dude got himself got himself out of it uh, i'm sure we could expand uh, on that later but but that's really what i think of when i think of um how do we reflect on that time it's it's almost a let's see how far we've come and let's just see how we react to that and it's important for kids to really really study the steroid era especially what happened um, after because that's going to teach you a lot about what to do when you screw up that's going to teach you a lot about owning your own mistakes that's going to teach you a lot about how to communicate with others um, because in your life you're not going to always make the right decision and everyone is going to do regretful things and I think it's important for kids to reflect on the steroid air to see hey, here's the people who were uh, on top of the world and um, just how easily you can get yourself in, in trouble if you if you don't have a good character and you don't um, take the time to make the right decisions. I completely agree to a certain extent. You have all these guys who, um, quote-unquote, took the easy way to get to fame and fortune, and, you know, the MLB reaped the benefits of all of this, and now we're sitting here... Um, 20 so years after really the beginning of the end of it and you have to reassess like you know MLB made a re-emergent a re-emergence back into everyone's lives during you know the the record chasing and the just like 
you know, the uh, Chick Stig, the long ball era, you know, that was all the steroid era. That was all built off of the steroid era. And at one point, you know, MLB just looked the other way and let these guys take the fall for what they allowed to happen. And I think that is always something that needs to be brought into the light when you start discussing these players because it wasn't all on their shoulders. Yes, they were the guys that injected stuff into their bodies and chose to make that decision, but the MLB also chose to make decisions during that time period as well. It comes down to like how wrong is it if you're following orders, but I, what I think we have to address for first and foremost, I think this is going to be the, the central catalyst for why this is a discussion, is I think we just need to go down the line on a yes or no basis do all these guys go in the Hall of Fame? I think we all agree that it's either they all go in or they don't all go in. You don't pick and choose, but Barry Bonds is a tricky one. Okay, really? Okay, expand on that then. Okay, yeah, talk about that then. I think there's some guys that um, have been given a a free pass that maybe should or shouldn't, and that's a whole other debate. I think that uh, there's some guys that have been given forgiveness that maybe have an easier time getting in than others. And there's some guys that just, you know, won't up, own up to it, and I think inevitably that's going to hurt them in getting to, into the Hall of Fame. Um, so it's just, you know, there's certain guys, like, say, the Barry Bonds, he's never tested positive, but it's been kind of almost in, uh, an almost a known fact, without the fact, that he was a steroid guy, right? And everyone says, well, he was a Hall of Famer before the steroids, so does he inevitably get in? I think he should because of that. But then again, the writers didn't like him. So will they vote him in? Who knows? So there's a whole list of guys we can go through. But, I, you know, I really I, I want to touch base before we get going on this postponement thing. I think that's the big news of the day, guys. Um, you know, Major League Baseball came out today saying we are going to stop spring training at all levels and postpone opening day at least the first two weeks. Um, I know, as a, you know, my life revolves around baseball at all of the levels, not just obviously watching the games at the pro level and stuff, but we have guys of our own that are in the minors that, you know, are, are beginning to work out and stuff that are getting called home and um, college level and high schools and all that. So, um, Scott, you're a middle school coach. How does it affect you from a fan level, from a coach level, stuff like that? Well, it brought everything to an absolute screeching halt because everything that I had been planning for and planning to do uh, now has just ceased to exist. Um, Thank God what I didn't do is I was about to, the day before everything went down, so it's about two days ago, if you're listening to this um, at a different time, which you will be right now, it is uh, the 12th of March. And uh, our hometown, um, they just this afternoon decided they're going to be uh, postponing school for the next uh, two and a half weeks, I believe it is. March 27th is the tentative go-back date. Um, So two days ago, what I was about to do, because I did not think this was going to happen at all, I was going to call the place that supplies um, our uh, uniforms and everything, and I was going to say, hey, punch in the order for our hats this year. And I had picked out uh, a very special hat this year that that I especially redesigned because this is the 350th birthday of our hometown, and I had a really cool thing I was going to do. Um, and our town has a lot of festive stuff going on, so I was going to look to, to get the kids involved in a bunch of stuff like that. Um, and that was all sorts of hype for the, the many things we were going to do, even outside of baseball. That I was going to get all these kids involved in. And thank God I didn't because I was about to order a very expensive hat that I would have had to pay for out of my pocket probably because the school wasn't going to do that. But 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 yikes, talk about things coming to a, a screeching halt. And it's, it, it is 
what what it is. But the question is going to be is where where do you pick up when things come back? As of right now, our town is scheduled to come back before our season was scheduled to start anyway. But I heard rumors that middle school is just going to be scrapped entirely as far as athletics. To me, that doesn't make any sense because, well, if we're going to come back, supposedly, before we're scheduled to start anyway, why? what's the point of axing it? Because we were totally fine. Especially you're going to let the high school spring sports continue, but not middle school. I don't understand um, the logic to that. Right now, I think we're just full of uncertainty, and we're just going to have to wait and really see what happens. But everyone's kind of minds are a little bit in the worst place possible, and understandably so. Um, uh, what do you, what do you guys both got? Yeah, so uh, I'll be honest. Like I, when I heard that, like, so uh, spring training is something that I have enjoyed a ton over the last couple years. Probably since about 2012, I've really been diving into spring training a lot and I've only gone like once or twice but it's such a fun thing and it's really great as a fan to be able to dive into this and get to know maybe players you haven't before and when I heard that was getting suspended initially I was just like man like that sucks like this is one of the most fun times of year for baseball fans because you really get access to players you get to see their personalities you get to have fun and so I was, I was like, man, that sucks. And then a couple hours later, you know, the decision came down that they were postponing the beginning of the season. And that just, like, felt like a gut punch. Like a true gut punch. I mean, it was... It, it just kind of, like, crashed over me like a wave temporarily where I was like, man, like, there every year except for the year I was born, there has been baseball. Like, and baseball has been consistent and there, and we've gotten to enjoy it, and it's always been something that you can count on. And right now, you don't know when you can have that back. And that's part of the thing about sports, is sports has always been that thing that's like, even in the tough times, you can kind of latch onto sports as a thing that's consistent. And I think in this time right now, with the uncertainty going on, with the NCAA tournament being canceled, the NBA season being suspended, the NHL season being suspended, MLB postponing the beginning of their season, NASCAR holding their first race this weekend without any fans in attendance, like, these are things that are just not normal in any stretch of the imagination. So it's going to be a little difficult to navigate. And it's not it's not just the United States. Formula One canceled the uh, Australian Grand Prix. Um, and actually, a member of McLaren um, tested positive for corona. So all of McLaren is um, – they backed out of the Grand Prix before anything even happened. So it's really, it's not just here. No. And I, and I think from the baseball side of things, what makes this so tough is we can talk about the, you know, the loss of the spring training with the major leagues and – there's so many different levels of that as you've got guys that are fighting for roster spots now that now there is no spring training anymore. So inevitably when major league baseball does come back, are they going to have an extended spring training or are they just going to go right to the start of the spring season? In which case, what happens to those guys that were on the bubble, those guys were trying to make it to the show that may never get their chance again. They're, they're missing. They may be missing their shot. Then you take it the step below that. You got guys in college now and colleges have announced cancellations of games, cancellations of seasons. The NCAA has already canceled all of its spring um, championships. So there will be no college world series this year. They're saying, 
So, you know, seniors in, at the college level, what happens with them? Do they regain a year of eligibility? Well, until you give that back to them since they're, you know, losing it, potentially losing it this year. Or if they only play a little bit of the season but no College World Series, then what does that mean? Do they still get the – like, there's so many levels of that. And the high school guys, I mean – there is no regaining eligibility in high school. Like once you graduate, you're done. So you got guys that are seniors in high school that may lose their season and may lose their chance to get looked at at co for college. Like what happens to those guys? They may miss out on opportunities to play baseball in college because college coaches won't get a chance to see them this year. Um, little league baseball came out with a mandate today that there's no little league activities prior to April 6th. And now you're talking about kids that are missing the start of their seasons. And if, if that goes longer, you know, how does that affect the, the all-stars and the little league world series and all that stuff? There's just so many levels to this from the baseball side that is just so, so heartbreaking. Um, not even just as a fan, but just being involved in the game. It's heartbreaking on so many levels. I mean, we have guys from our program that are playing in college that, you know, college guys crying because they're missing their season, whether it be their freshman year or their senior year. You know, we got guys at the college level that their Florida trip, their senior year was canceled. And, you know, that's the one thing that they've been looking forward to is I'm a senior and I get to go be a leader down on our spring trip. And now it's gone. And it's just it's to talk to these guys and hear these guys. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, the winter sports guys, I mean. We're, we're baseball guys. What about these guys that play hockey, that play basketball, the, you know, the girls on the, the girls basketball team, they lost their chance at their moment for a chance at a championship. Cause all of these winter sports canceled their playoffs. I mean, you know, your heart breaks for them, the seniors there. I mean, for us in town, Scott, one of our high schools, we have two high schools here in town. And one of them was the clear cut favorite for a state championship in hockey. And, you know, you never know year to year what's going to happen. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it next year. And so, you know, you those kids, I mean, they're upset. It's, there's so many levels. I mean, you look at the strike in 94. The Expos were the team. Everyone thought they were winning the World Series. The strike ends the season. They come back, and they're nowhere near as good the next year. Mm -hmm. So you just you, you never know. And that's just, I think as a sports fan, what's the most heartbreaking about this? Um, obviously, we don't want people getting sick or – you know, we want to try to help stop this the best way we can, but it's just, it's heartbreaking on so many different levels because of all of that. Um, go ahead, Scott. Oh, sure. Um, so I think that the, I think that the uh, tough part about this for, at least for me is just, I've been, I've been dying for something to get my mind off, like changes at work and stuff that's been going on and now you're just sitting here and it's it's not happening and like you said like it's it's so much harder on these players and if you think it's hard on the fans like it sucks for me and like I've been looking for that thing to just like get my mind off of what's been going on and now that thing's gone but you know what for these players their their lives are kind of gone in a way like this is what they do this is what they've done since they were, you know, little kids, and this is their life. This is what they've put, this is what they've worked for all these years, all these hours they've put into it, and it's just been ripped away from them, and not by anybody's fault. It's just extremely unfortunate, and I think the, the thing that I've been thinking about a lot when it comes to, like, minor league players and, like, college players is, you know, these minor league players, they're, they're not 
they're they're paid kind of like an average person, right? They're no, not it's less. well. It's less for for the lower levels of the miners yeah. for sure. Um, it's less for the upper levels. It's kind of like a very average person, right? Um, are, are they going to get paid? I mean, I would hope that the teams are doing the right things and paying their players, um, even regardless of the fact that their season is now postponed, but or suspend uh, yeah postponed is that the term we're using properly um I mean, start the start of the season was postponed start so of the yeah. season was postponed um you know are these guys gonna get paid especially for the guys in the lower levels of the minor leagues like man they count on that money so much and their lives are hard enough trying to balance baseball and life and finances as it is and now all of a sudden that's all up in the air on them too so something that I appreciate you say, Billy, is like this is no fault of any one person. This is just the the, the luck we're stuck with. Um, um, with that, I think that's really important to to understand because I'm going to throw in an angle that is not. It doesn't appear to be a very popular opinion or a very popular angle, but I'm going to kind of set the stage before I say this and say, um, I am. I am in grad school. I am not an undergrad. I am no longer playing as an undergrad. I have never played professionally i am not playing professionally um so i do not have that specific dog to fight on my personal level um with saying this i will also say uh i teach social studies and um i do focus a lot and care a lot about the world in general and how things interact and i i do have to say from from that perspective of someone who cares about just the world in general and as much as i am deeply deeply in love with the game of baseball as many different sports as i watch and how much of my my day and my time and my schedule revolves around um what time are all my teams playing i i do have to kind of step back and say I was in a way relieved when Major League Baseball postponed everything because it, it was like ripping off a Band-Aid. Um, I kind of just wanted to get it over with in the sense that if you're going to do this, don't drag it out. Everyone's canceling at once. We're all doing this. And as a society, it, it's reflective of a decision that that's actually somewhat comforting to me. Um, the sense that as a country, we are all saying on all different levels from local to state to national, uh, the message is let's all stop for a minute, make sure we have both feet on the ground on this whole thing before we start to take steps forward. Um, I feel oddly comforted by that because I feel like I'm surrounded by um, not just people, but organizations um, and governments that actually care for our well-being in, in that regard. I think that's an honest take for sure. Um, you know, you're acknowledging the the difficulty of the situation and that people are really just trying to do the best that they can in these decisions. Um, but one thing that I did notice through all of this is every sports league kind of followed the lead of the NBA, which is something that, you know, I'm not surprised by. But also, I guess for just for so many years, I didn't view the NBA as like a leader of a pack of sports in a way. Um, I always kind of viewed that as football and uh, baseball, you know, kind of up there as like one, two. But I think it really is a testament to how much basketball has climbed into the fabric of like everything we do in society today. Well, put the NBA at the forefront of that whole thing is they had... um... They had a player who was di- 
who was um tested positive for corona that's what kind of sl- slingshot them to the beginning so they got they were the closest to the whole thing and they were the first um uh league uh, major professional sport that we at least know of at the moment that actually has a first-hand encounter and interaction um with this and you could see that they were immediately very quick to say boom okay we're not doing this we're not risking this anymore this is too far for our comfort um we're gonna do that and i think everyone else kind of looks at that and we are a country where our law is based off of precedent um what comes before and then things have to follow suit after so it does make sense that once one team decides hey this is too close for comfort for us we're backing out of here because eventually what are you going to do if you're that that one team or or that one uh league who doesn't cancel and you're trying to push things to going and i'll tell you one thing xfl hasn't done anything yet and as far as i know wrestlemania is still going on um that is a whole nother discussion for another time but i'll sum that up real quick if we do have any wrestling fans um if WrestleMania does get canceled, it's going to be because the state of Florida or the city of Tampa is canceling it, not because Vince McMahon's canceling it, because Vince McMahon, I guarantee you, is super excited about the fact that he could be the sole and only provider of sports um, for the next like month. And the reason why I say that is because he was also the first show that happened after 9-11. The first sporting event was an episode of SmackDown. Um, he really takes pride in, in really doing that and, and kind of giving faith to people about pushing on because that's a message he has and also that's a lot of money in that um and if you know anything about the history of nascar you know why the daytona 500 got so big is because of a different circumstance but they were the only sporting event that was on tv if you know anything about the history of nascar you know what i'm referring to this is a big opportunity for the xfl to to be to get a lot of eyeballs a big opportunity for wrestlemania to get a lot of eyeballs i don't know if it's correct but i do think people will not be reacting kindly when if those events decide to go on depending on what's gonna happen the next few weeks and i don't think especially rob manfred with the amount of fire that he's been under the past few months that is a fire he can completely avoid and i do not think he wants to step into those waters and he wants to take the safe way out with the safe easy and quick decision and frankly i don't blame him you know one thing with all this is through the years especially with baseball Whenever there's a stoppage for something, um, there's always been that moment that we bring it all back. Like if you think of like after 9-11, you as a Mets fan, Billy, the Mike Piazza home run, what that meant to the city of New York, or or even that World Series with the Yankees and the Diamondbacks and Jeter, Mr. November, like baseball helped our country heal. Um, You look at the Marlins when they lost Fernandez, the, the home run that was hit the very next home game. Um, it's just there's always that healing moment. The problem I have with this is I, I don't know what we're healing from. Like we're trying to avoid something. We're not really healing. And I just I, I hope baseball can help deliver a positive moment when we come back. I just don't know if it's going to be that that exciting moment that we're used to. Like we're used to the, the, the top blowing off the place because of the Mike Piazza home run or because of the Gordon home run or because of this and because of that. And it's just, you know, when we get the season back, I think it's just going to kind of be, oh, thank God baseball's back. Not that blow off the top moment because it's just such a different feeling for this. Like there's nothing for us to rally around here mm-hmm. for, for each other. It's just kind of, you know, we're hoping for each other, but we're not rallying around each other. So it's it's a much different feeling. And that's so disheartening because, you know, sports bring us together. And now um, as sports fans, not just baseball fans, but sports fans, we have nothing to turn to right now to bring us together. 
and that is so so tough. Mm-hmm. You almost wonder if esports is going to start really taking off because what else is ESPN going to shop? Very you know, it's interesting. Funny. I was talking about that with someone tonight. So uh, a friend of mine, his son is on the esports team at our local high school, and he's like, "Yeah, I get to go spend the next two weeks since we're off of school just practicing." Like, and it, I, I didn't think of that, but it's absolutely true. How many of these kids are going to go pick up a controller now and spend two weeks playing video games because they have no school and say, "Huh, I'm pretty good at this." Like, how, how does that change the whole dynamic of sports in general? If you have athletes that maybe put down the bat or put down the the stick or the for the ball or whatever they're using and turn to a controller going forward because they say, I'm pretty good at this. I can get a college scholarship at this. Like, that's a whole nother dynamic really that can. no one's even thinking of. And the thing is, too, the, and I know a decent amount about esports. There's money there. Like, like people, people like to joke about it. People like to, like, poke fun at it. But, like, there's money there. There are colleges investing in teams. There are um, players making big money. There's constantly a new market evolving. Um, there's a ton of sponsors. I mean, the money sponsors esports. You know, there's Red Bull sponsoring Dr Pepper. Um, you know, uh, even like insurance companies. State Farm, I think, is a is an investor for one. Um, you know, every computer company in the world. You know, uh, these they're all sponsoring. Hell, there's teams named after, like, Samsung. You know, like, these things exist, and there's money in it. And, you know, I didn't think about how this affects esports, but in a lot of ways, it's like... I mean, I know modern esports, there are, like, arenas where people can go watch, like, the professional players um kind of like a sports arena but like more like a small theater um so they'll probably just close it off to fans but they'll probably bring in like the five guys on each team and play their sports you know because in reality it's like all they need to be able to do is broadcast it i didn't think about that but it's it's interesting enough and and it's a whole crazy dynamic to the point of how many athletes because of this, because they're going to be stuck at home for two weeks with nothing else to do. How many athletes are going to turn to this and may never go back to the sports that they were playing before this happened? Like, that's a crazy dynamic to think about. Here's here's the thing I'm going to add to that is all these kids right now are already addicted and stuck on video games anyway, and I say that half sarcastically. Um, But I really don't think it's going to change as much what kids are going to be abandoning sports for esports just because I think that's already such a big part of their lifestyle already. All they're just going to do is just maybe a little bit more of it. It's just like the off season, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just an extended off season. Then we're all going to go back to normal. Um, hopefully, yeah. back to normal. What's but, that? But, so but I, the I don't thing about the, do that much. the thing about the off season, like our off season, I have our high school kids and some of our youth kids and our college kids. They're in our facility here, all off season hitting. But like places like our place, a lot of them are shutting down and saying, "Hey, we're gonna close down and and clean the place for two or three weeks." Like while while everything's closed down, a lot of these kids are gonna have nowhere to go except for the video games. So I think that's make what makes it a little bit different than a quote unquote extended off season is these kids aren't going to really have any access to any of this stuff because a lot of them, the parents are keeping them home. I mean, I have one of our high school kids that has been coming here religiously, and a couple of the guys. Uh, in his age group were here tonight and I was like oh where is he and they're like oh his mom wouldn't let him come and I was like oh okay like you know that's what we're running into now is even if they have the facilities to go to whose parents are or are not going to let them go out like 
And if they're not, then what are they doing? They're sitting at home and I can only imagine that they're going to be stir crazy. Yeah. So maybe they can't wait to get back outside, but maybe they also may discover something else that they may not have known about themselves. You know, as far as this whole esports thing goes, maybe they pick up a PS4 controller that they haven't played in a year and a half and they got MLB the show and they go play online and they go on a winning streak and they're like, huh, I'm pretty good at this. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely has a lot of, uh, there's going to be a long lasting impact from this and it's not just going to be, you know, oh, I remember when they didn't play baseball for, you know, a month and a half. Like, um, it, it, there'll be some lasting impacts and it's going to be quite fascinating to watch as it progresses. Um, now here's my question for you guys. What's the, what's the first sport that comes back? NBA. Do they all come back at once in the same week or do you think? I think it'll be the NBA because their season's in full swing. Maybe yeah, the also, NHL. Hockey, hockey's still approaching the playoffs, so are they going to do that? Or, or is MLB going to be so excited just to get started, and it would be so important for MLB to get started that they're going to try to uh, put their foot in the door first? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Major League Baseball only because of the two things. Number one, the NBA had players test positive. So I think they're going to be the most cautious to come back. And number two, MLB is outdoors. So I think that changes the dynamic a little bit as far as you can play without fans and be a little bit more at ease with that versus even if you are playing without fans indoors. I think there's that whole dynamic. So that's why I think Major League Baseball may be the first one back. Not necessarily in, oh, we're going to start our season, but maybe they come back and do an extended spring training, um, something to, to those lines a little bit earlier versus the NBA or NHL coming back immediately into their seasons. And the, the other big question I have is, so do we pick up where the schedule says we're supposed to stay, where we're supposed to be, or yes. do we push everything back? I, I'm against – I'm personally against whatever we miss adding on to the end of the season. I am perf- personally against that because now you're just going to push baseball into, like, almost Thanksgiving, and that is not good. Uh, obviously, yes, yeah, some players play in Texas. Some play indoors, obviously. Uh, but, but some play in Minnesota outside. Yeah, and some play – and guess what? New York is freaking cold. Minnesota's a little colder that time of year. Or, or I, I've read about this idea, and I'm not entirely sure what I think about it yet. Even though I don't love this, but I wouldn't. If the option was no World Series, which I doubt that that would happen, knock on wood, um, I wouldn't be super opposed to this idea. Of what if you do like the Super Bowl and you just elect two indoor ballparks to play in? Like, uh, the owners, I feel like the owners aren't going to pass up that revenue. No, I think that'd be a huge revenue issue um, as far as sharing and who gets what. Um, I think what we're inevitably going to see is they're just going to say, hey, we're going to come back. We're going to do two more weeks of spring training so pitchers can keep throwing and get themselves back up. I'm sure most of these pitchers are going to keep throwing at home yeah. by themselves anyway to keep their arms in shape. Um, they're gonna. They'll say we'll do a two-week spring training, get back to it, and then whatever our opening, new opening day is gonna be, whoever you were due to play on that day is who you're opening up against, and they're just gonna keep doing the season. Whatever games we lose, we lose. I can very much see teams um, bringing in only the players on the 40-man roster, and just doing workouts with like them, and doing it that way. Doing like coaches, 40-man roster, keep them working, keep them move in and then it just do like routine tests 
So I do believe what I heard on the Michael K show today, and I could have heard this wrong, so someone please fact check me on that, is I do believe they said they don't have to go home. And the facilities are open for them to use on their own um, willingness. It's just the team can't run anything, but players on their own merit, on their own free time, will still be able to use facilities that they can get into. But again, it's like it's on their own merit, on their own thing. They're not required to all leave. I yeah. Could have that so the coach, it, if that is true, the coaches definitely could set up programs for all these players like they do in the off season for throwing programs for pitchers, um, you know, training programs for position players, et cetera, um, that will all work that keep them moving forward in progress, but maybe like at a slower pace so that they don't ramp up quite as quickly. But even if that is the case, I think major league baseball still has to operate there when they resume that none of the players did anything. Um, just because you don't want to give an advantage to someone that maybe, maybe so-and-so is a 26 year old pitcher and they're single by themselves. So they don't mind staying at the facility, but so-and-so he's 28. He's got two kids and a wife at home and he wants to go home and make sure they're okay. I don't think Major League Baseball wants to hold that against, you know, that particular guy. So I think they have to operate under the assumption that even though these facilities may still be open to these players that want to stay, I don't think they need they can operate under the assumption that they are all going to stay because, I mean, they're not going to. So if, if given the choice of going home and being with their family at this time or staying there at the facility and working out and potentially getting this virus that's coming around, I think they're going to want to go home and be with their families to make sure they're okay. So I think a good benchmark for figuring out how long the MLB would have to basically extend the preseason to get players ready is how long it took for Dallas Keuchel to be ready to pitch last year. Um, Because he was a guy that didn't have a spring training. He was throwing on his side and working on his own program all throughout until he was signed when? In June? June. You know? And then when did he first pitch last year? I'm going to look it up right now. Because that, that thought literally just popped into my head. I'm like, when did Dallas Keuchel start pitching last year? But not even when did he start pitching, but, I mean, how long was it until he was effective, too? I mean, you got to think of that. Very true. So his first start was June 21st. June 21st. I don't know when he actually when he actually signed, but his first start was June 21st. I I want to say oh, there there was a very specific date that he wasn't going to sign. Before, what was it? I want to say it's like the 15th. It was June 6th. All right, so the sixth to the 21st. It was two weeks. It was two weeks, and I, if I remember correctly, he did not make a long start that game. No, it was five innings, six innings the next game, seven, eight, seven, six, six, six. Yeah, so I would say I would say it was probably about three weeks, four weeks until he was fully unleashed. So, so, so here's the side of that, and and maybe it's a little bit of the Braves' strategy, maybe it's a little bit of Keuchel, but he made 19 starts, and only four of them went longer than six innings. But that also has to do with the Braves' philosophy last year. Um, so I can't put that all on him not being ready. Um, he's also an aging pitcher at this point, which was a lot of the concern why he wasn't signed in the first yeah. place. Um, so I'll say I'll say it was probably about four weeks before he was fully unleashed. 
as Actually, a pitcher. He had five starts um, that were more than six, but and and it's actually so his his third start was seven, his fourth start was eight, his fifth start was seven, and then he kind of went uh, six 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 seven four six six seven six six five six five. So you could say that they kind of lengthened him a little bit right off the bat. After you know his third start, he went seven innings, but. But third starts almost what a month and a half from when he signed. So so July second, he signed June sixth. So we're we're talking a month later. A month later, okay. So it took him a month to stretch out. Yeah. So that's not too far off from uh, what David Cohn, I believe, was saying. Um, I believe okay. So strike was ninety four, but extended a little bit to ninety five. And uh, in nineteen ninety five, they had a a short spring train just to get people going, uh, and it was three weeks. And that's why David Cohn believes he said it'll probably be a three-week thing, um, depending on how long this whole thing goes. But he he estimates probably about three weeks because precedent has shown um, three has worked. Yeah, I agree. It'll probably be about three weeks once everyone decides that it's okay to start playing again. Um, It'll be about three weeks for them, and then they'll be right in it. I mean, the problem going to be is the decision of when that time is. Because yep. so mo- most places, like I know our school system is shutting down for two weeks because what we're being told from the media and from doctors is it's a two-week cycle for this to sh- virus to show its to show symptoms in some people. So if you quarantine for two weeks, you know if you had the virus, it has worked its way out of your system, or if it was on a surface somewhere, it has died at that point. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to continue to shift around and move from person to person. Cause like our school system shuts is shut down until quote unquote, the 27th. Well, the 26th, if there's a student that happened to go out shopping with mom and they get it, well, now that's another two weeks you have to add on to that. Right. So this could be an ongoing thing. So I don't even know, like you can't even begin to guess when that's going to be. I think the two or three week benchmark that we're talking about, probably closer to three weeks is a good guess about how long it would take to prepare to start the season. But we don't even know when that could be. I mean, we could be talking May, even into June at this point. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's a lot of uncertainty, and it's hard to even speculate on when all of this is going to be moving on. And and I I hope this doesn't sound cynical when I I say this. I I really don't. Probably will. (laughs) If you you are a Yankee fan, like, like I am, and so is Chris, we have some key people who were not scheduled to start the season anyway, who may or may not, quote unquote, have been rushing trying to get back. If then you're a Yankee have... fan, as as much as as much as this as this sucks, maybe it's a blessing is there, in disguise. In a weird way, can you turn that into a positive? I'm not saying this is a positive situation, but what I'm saying is, you know. You, you, you got to find something to smile about in, in, in bad situations. So maybe that that's a thing we can use to kind of comfort ourselves and be like, hey, there's an upside to it just because you need to find an upside in bad situations. I'm not saying this is a good situation. That's not what I'm saying. But you guys know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this would probably be a good segue into our uh, our next topic of the night. Yeah, so basically what we would like to do is – we would like to talk about some players who we think are, have important qualities that kids should be looking up to and parents who could be directing your kids to look up to these uh, specific players. Um, now, the, the trick is um, 
right now MLB has a marketing problem, and there's a lot of guys who uh, kids are not looking at who they probably should. We actually talked a little bit about that last week, so please go feel free to um, go back to last week's episode when you're done with this one and hear what we have to say about our opinions on marketing and getting names out. But he, here's a few that um, we would like to talk about for different reasons that have qualities that we think kids should be looking at and really admiring and parents should be directing to. Um, I have three that come to my mind, and I'm, we're not going to take the easy answer and say Derek Jeter, Mike Trout, obviously. Um, at least I'm not going to take those easy ways out. I'm going to talk about three guys who um, might have some, uh, might be second tier in your mind. Um, the first one I want to say is is John uh, Carlos Stanton, um, and there's probably a boomer rolling their eyes at this right now. But um, I'm not a boomer, and I'm rolling my eyes at you. But I understand why because of all the reasons you're getting into. It's just you, your love for Stanton is funny to me. Oh yeah. He has Stan, a, he has a love for him. Super, that exceeds. super man crush on Stan. Scott, Dude, Scott. Stan, Stan I mean, is the guy is ripped. He, he, he is, he is my man crush Monday. He honest to God, it really is. He's the MCM. Um, and his girlfriend could be my WCW. Um, That's anyway. women crush Wednesday for our boomers out there. Okay. Stop. Here's my thing with John Carlo and a quality that he has where um, that I really felt like this is a dude who I want to have on my team. Um, he has every reason or he had every reason, I'm sorry, to really come in this team and try to completely take it over and do like a Bryce Harper and try to say, Aaron Judge, who? No, I'm running the show because I got the big contract. This is my game. I almost broke the uh, the single season home run record. This is all about me. And he could have totally been very self-absorbent and almost been an Alex Rodriguez in some way about the whole thing. Completely killed team chemistry. He did the exact opposite of that. Um, he had every reason to do that and have all these bragging rights and be cocky, but instead he opted to say, no, I am stepping into another team. I'm going to adjust towards that. I'm going to keep my mouth shut, which he definitely does. I'm going to contribute in the ways that I can, and I'm going to be a team player, which is something I absolutely love about him. Um, especially when he, he – it would have been so easy for him to not do that. Uh, but I, I have not read The Evil Empire. Um, no, it's not The Evil Empire. It's Inside the Empire. I'm sorry. Uh, that was a book that was published a few years ago. Um, I have not read it, but I am told by people who did read it that it is noted in there. John Carl is one of the first people there every morning, one of the last guys to leave. He's always taking bad press. He's always watching videos. He is he is into it. He, he He's shown that he's very kind towards his teammates. Um, he keeps his mouth shut. When you think about it, like, what do you really know about the guy's personal life? Really nothing. And that's something that if you're a fan of Derek Jeter, you're kind of uh, – that's something you should be turned on to. It's a very Derek Jeter-esque thing, and you can't help but wonder if all of Yankees PR has been really adjusted um, because of Derek Jeter to do that Derek Jeter-esque style of how to deal with people and how to carry yourself. Um, and that, I, I was just so – blown away and, and impressed by, by that uh, because that's not something that Bryce Harper did. I don't think that's something Bryce Harper would do if he came to the Yankees. Uh, and you and reflecting on Alex Rodriguez coming over, you can't help but wonder um, would that approach have been the best for team chemistry, what the team was doing at the time. So I, I just really think it's it's uh, an awesome thing for him to do that. And that's something, parents, I really hope you recognize with your kids. Um and recognize for yourself when you're going into new programs, like again, like we talked about last week, uh, it's the idea of leave your ego at the door. 
and, and just come in, do what you can, be a teammate, be a contributor. You know what I mean? What do you guys think? Sure. So um, I, I think you hit hit it right on the head. Um, I've loved Stanton since he was with Miami, and I always kind of had that picture in my mind of him wearing a Mets uniform one day, and obviously we all know the Mets, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, and he ends up with the Yankees, because, of course, why not Why not twist the knife a little bit more on me? Um, so I, I completely get what you're saying, and I've always loved Stanton. Um, but if I had to look at the Mets, I think there's three guys in the Mets organization that really really are great to look up to the first is pretty obvious um it's Pete Alonso I mean the guy says everything right the guy does all the little things when it comes to the fans and the communities and he's embraced New York City and what it means to be from that city and be a be part of that city and that's something that not a lot of outsiders get and can easily jump into that role, and I think he's taken it and bears it out every day and just wants to be part of that New York community, and I think that's something to look up to, as well as the guy always talks about every interview that you ever see him have, it's always about what I what he can do to work harder and, and be prepared, and it's never... It's never reflecting on the things he's accomplished as much as it's the things that he wants to continue to progress on. And I think that's a testament that a lot of people can take and run with where, you know, you should be looking at the things that you can make better, not necessarily all the good things you've done, even though you can enjoy them yourself. Uh, The second person I would say is Jacob deGrom because he's just a, he leads by example and not really by his words as much he is a I will go out there every day and prove that I'm the best pitcher out there and he doesn't care what anyone says he doesn't need to be heard he just goes out there and he shows you what he does and how hard he works every time out there the third is kind of a little more unorthodox and it's Tim Tebow and it's kind of surprising I think but he is one of those guys that he is an older guy in the minor leagues but every day he shows up and every day he fights to try and make it to the major leagues because that's his dream you know his dream is to be able to play major league baseball and that's a dream that a lot of kids can relate to but you know a lot of us get to a certain point where it's like we either can't continue playing because you know we're not playing in college we didn't get a scholarship whatever you don't make a team those things happen and this is a guy that day in and day out no matter his age no matter what people say about him he fights to try and make that dream happen and honestly whether it happens with the Mets or not and personally I think if he does ever make it to the majors with the Mets something went terribly wrong with the season but I hope he does make it to the majors somewhere some way Chris you're talking about what would be that big moment of coming back Tim Tebow leading off the season, first pitch home run. Sign me up for that right now, right this minute. That is how we come back from that. It is impossible to root against that guy. I'm sorry. It it, it absolutely is. I mean, the guy, he, he's the guy. You, if you got a daughter, you want your daughter to marry. He's the 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 all the all pro athlete that everyone wants to get behind. Like for baseball, he, he he's the come comeback story because you know the guy hasn't played baseball since high school and he's trying to fight for the next level like you can't root against Tim Tebow 
is he going to be the guy to do that, have that moment? It ain't going to happen, Scott. I wish it would because it would be tremendous for baseball, but it's not going to happen. Um, for me, my guys, I'm, I'm going to go – I'm going to shoot west of us a little bit for, for a couple of guys. I think, number one, Francisco Lindor, shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. Love that I think guy. that's a guy – he, he just – you can tell he enjoys the game. He's like a little kid in a candy store every time he steps on the field. He works super, super hard. He's a great teammate. He's great to the media. Um, I think that's a guy that, you know, baseball needs to use more of in their marketing. I mean, he's just a lovable guy. And then one of my favorite things about the spring training that is now over was miking up the athletes. And I think that's one of the things that's great for baseball. And Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are two guys you just can't dislike. Those are two guys. They work super hard. They have a lot of fun. Um, you can't root against those guys. Those are kind of my top three. And then to go on a, a, the other side of it, from a, away from the guys that have fun with the game, the guys that are super serious of the game, I think Max Scherzer and Madison Bumgarner, I think, are just two guys. They, they are just the, the bull in the china shop i'm just i'm there to kick your butt it's you versus me and i'm gonna win the battle and i think that's also good to show our 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 young players is that it's okay to have fun like rizzo and like bryant but at times it's you versus that guy and you gotta win and that's the max scherzer mentality you just watch him stare down batters it's really really awesome to watch as a fan of the game they're all they're all wonderful athletes for sure and they're great they're great people to look up for i think if i had to choose one like on a team that i don't look at very much is i love otani you know i I know i know it's like he doesn't have that like necessary cultural connection to a lot of younger uh, a lot of people but you know what he does to another extent and i think it's a great to see an athlete from another country come here and really race kind of the stardom in a way and I also think it's fantastic to see a two-way player at the forefront of the sport because you know what that just says to a younger kid like that's what I want to do I want to be that two-way player you know I want I want to be a great pitcher and I want to be a great hitter and I'm going to make it to the major leagues doing that and I think that's such a wonderful thing for kids to really latch on to and the thing is, too, it's like, I think Otani tries his best to really show his personality. And I, I, I really enjoy that about him because I think it can be difficult sometimes for a person in his situation where he's not the most fluent in the language. It's just really fun to see him try and like get his personality out there and really see him start to interact with his teammates. Like You see the small interactions, and they're just really fun to watch because you realize that it all just revolves around this love for this game. So Otani is my favorite player who is not on the, Ross, or who's not on the Yankees in uh, all of baseball. I That dude is all sorts of bleeding cool. But he reminds me of a certain top three favorite Yankee, uh, personally, uh, of mine, uh, who is also Japanese, and that is Hideki Matsui. And um, similar to Otani in the sense that he didn't speak much English, so how much can you really tell about the guy? Uh, But I'll tell you something, a really heartwarming thing my dad used to tell me about Matsui is he would always say, my dad was always big on drilling into my head, you keep your mouth shut, you shake hands at the end of the game. The, the worst trouble I ever got into in my life was, was a day where um, I got angry during um, 
handshaking, and I was eight years old. I'll never forget it, and I never did anything wrong shaking hands after that. Um, I was actually no, I was probably younger than I was probably seven, but still, even at that age, that you, you couldn't. Um, my, my parents let me get away with nothing along those lines. But he used to say after games, he said, "Hey, remember, just keep your mouth shut and perform, just like Matsui. He never talk. He never talks crap, does he?" And I said. Well, I don't know. He doesn't speak English. He says, oh, well, how lucky is he? He doesn't have to worry about it. <laughs> he said, so if you had to, forget how to speak English. If that's what keeps you from saying anything bad to someone. But then that's what that reminded me of bringing up uh, Otani. I love Japanese players for, for some reason. Um, can, can we actually talk about like another Yankee who I, I really wish – this is a dude who I so wish was playing right now. It is a – the 2009 World Series champion right fielder, Nick Swisher. Has anyone had more fun playing the game of baseball than Nick Swisher? Why is that guy not the guy on ESPN? Um, even though he does go on ESPN and Fox quite a bit, he talks about stuff. No, that dude should be front and center of anything media related as far as baseball goes. Like, that is the guy who we should be blowing up in front of everybody's face, even in retirement. Actually, before that, when he left the Yankees, where did he go after that? Cleveland? And then he eventually re-signed back with the Yankees as a role of the minor leagues, and he was still ecstatic about that. He's like, what am I upset about? My time's over. I'm still having fun. I still got to play baseball. This is awesome. That, that, that dude, oh, my God. I've never seen anyone have more fun standing on a baseball field in my life than him. Yeah, no, I I always I was always a little jealous that you guys had Nick Swisher, but one of the guys that you let go that we got to embrace was uh Curtis Granderson. That is a guy that I've been dying to meet for so long. He he's one of those guys that he does every little thing right, but you know he has a ball playing baseball every day, and I I wish him nothing but the best. I want to see him as a coach on a team somewhere. I want to see him always around baseball, and I I love Curtis Granderson. I, I, I want to know, if, if I could meet Curtis Granderson ever in my life, the first thing I want to ask him is, how did you get to be the most likable guy in baseball? I don't think anyone has a bad word to say about the guy, and I would love to know... What and that's a dude who's played for multiple teams. He's played for was it mm-hmm. Tigers, Yankees, Mets, Marlins? Am I missing one? Toronto. Yeah. Oh, Toronto. Um, did he do the Dodgers for a little while? He was on the Dodgers. Yep. Yeah. He was yeah. on the World Series team in seventeen. And, and Milwaukee. Oh, okay. So we're up to seven games, seven teams, right? Seven teams. Yep. So that is a dude who isn't getting passed around because no one wants him. He's getting passed around because everyone wants the guy. Um, yeah. I would love to know. It's like you're going to different cities so many times. How do you get to be so likable so instantly, just immediately? What are you doing? What is your approach to these things? That That's a dude who I would love to get in contact with somehow. These are a whole bunch of players that are have a whole different perspective on things from – you know, the way they played to the teams they played for to what makes them likable. Um, and like why we are so fascinated with some of them, uh, for sure. Um, but did we re- want to get into that uh, steroids and uh, that Hall of Fame conversation a little bit now? I, yeah. I do. And the reason, yeah, the reason why I do is because that's so relevant to, to this topic of, of um, people you look up to. Because I think the big question is, is do we look up to them? Yes or no. And that's the root of what the Hall of Fame conversation is, is are these people worth 
looking up to. And I think the first person to start that conversation with is Alex Rodriguez. Um, because he has done a lot to get himself into possibly good standings um, in the public eye. And, and the, the way he did that was, one, he had a comeback here. Was it 2014? 2013? What was the year he, um, after a suspension, where he really came back and he looked like he was um, Alex Rodriguez again? I want to say it was 15. He was suspended in 2014, so 2015 was his yeah. first year back. Okay. So that obviously helped him, the fact that he came back. He shows he can still do good without steroids. Um, I mean, which I don't the think dude hit, the dude hit 33 home runs this season. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty darn good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that helped. And it also kind of came to this idea that he's kind of he kind of owned up to it after a little while because what else are you going to do? It's kind of like nowhere to go but up. Kind of had to tear himself down to rebuild himself. Um, I do think it's absolutely the sweetest thing in the world that he married is married to Jennifer Lopez. We're about to be married because there's actually an interview of him with the Mariners back in like the 90s. Where he said, if you could date one of those celebrities, who would it be? He's like, oh, it'd be really nice to go out with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, it's really funny how that uh, comes full circle. But something that he did, he did he does a podcast. Um and he had Gary V on that pod- podcast. Um, and then A-Rod said something that really made me have to stop the the, um, the recording to really think about. He said he's 40-something years old, and just now he's real. he feels like he grew up, or he's starting to grow up, or he's starting to get it. The reason why I bring that up is very similar to something that I read in uh, a book by Duff McKagan. If you guys don't know who Duff McKagan is, kids, listen to Guns N' Roses. This dude is one of the best bass players of all time. Um, he said something very, very similar in his autobiography where he talked about um, the idea that when you're given so much money, so young, and the free pass to do whatever you want because just because you're so good at one thing, you never grow up. You're stuck as a child. And Alex Rodriguez said that over the course of his podcast too. He said, I couldn't do anything wrong. Because everything I did was fine, and it was right. He said, and you got completely out of touch in reality. So he reflects on himself in Texas as he he does not think fondly of himself in Texas. He looks back at that. He said, that is a much different Alex Rodriguez than than I should have been, and a much different person than I I am today, and a much different person I was before. He said, that Alex Rodriguez was so arrogant and so cocky, and everyone just around him just, just let him because it was okay and he got so out of touch with reality he said and these are things that it damaged his relationship with his good friend uh, Derek Jeter and he said he feels like that delayed the process of growing up and becoming an adult and Duff McKagan said said the exact same thing and, and which is really interesting how that works and I think that's part of his way of apologizing and moving on I think that's why people do think fondly of him now because Step one is owning it. And we talked about that last week with the Astros. Correa was about to be everyone's favorite Astro by owning it until he took about eight steps backwards. Um, and that's the guy who I think the conversation should should start with. Um, on a yes or no basis, personally, and I know this is a controversial take, I say let them all in the Hall of Fame. The reason why is because I don't think there is a perfect answer to get out of this in any way. I do not think there's one everyone's going to agree to, but I think it's most unfair to throw people under the bus for stuff that Major League Baseball enabled them to do 
because I think it is most wrong to us to pretend that probably the, the, the greatest era in baseball never happened. And to those people who I say I don't want those people in the Hall of Fame, I get it. But just remember, the room next door to the plaque is an entire like five-floor museum that will tell that story and make sure the story gets remembered. You can have the cake and eat it too. The story will not go away. The shame will always be there. And you can still just recognize the, the greatness of, of, of what that is. I, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see if A-Rod gets in because um, he's eligible in two more years, I believe. Um, 2022, I believe, is when he's eligible because his last season was 2016. Um, and and there could be a very different group of people who are voting for the Hall of Fame come 2022 than are voting right now. And I, I'm curious to see what their take is on Alex as they they've gotten to know him as a broadcaster as a person around baseball um not just a player anymore and i wonder how much that affects his candidacy when it comes to the hall of fame the shame that i would feel as a fan of the game is if in two more years a rod ends up in the Hall of Fame, but yet someone like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, you know, Mark McGuire ends up falling short. Um, now you can have the conversation on which ones are actually Hall of Famers if you take all of their numbers at face value. Um, I think we know which ones come to mind right off the bat, but it, I think it would be a real black mark on baseball if a-Rod's in in a few years, and these guys are left out just because different people voted. So, I got a couple different looks at this year. I think A-Rod has a better chance of getting in than any of those guys you mentioned because he's been so forthcoming with his feelings about it after. Um, like you said, I, I watch his podcast pretty regularly, and pretty regularly he talks about Scott how he feels about how he was as a player and understands where he screwed up. Um, and he's openly talked about it. He's apologized for it. Um, he served a suspension for it. And I think since that point, he's been a great ambassador for the game. And then you have the other guys that you mentioned, Billy, that haven't really been around baseball since they retired, whether it be because baseball didn't want them around or because they don't want to be around it themselves. So that case, I don't think they're making for themselves. If Barry Bonds put out an interview tomorrow and said, I absolutely took steroids. Everyone else was doing it at the time. I didn't want to put myself at a disadvantage. I just wanted to help my team win. Then I think everyone's got a different mindset of Barry Bonds. But I think because he's been so quiet about it, it's tough for the average sports writer or baseball fan to forgive it. Um, I'm under the feeling that even if they did steroids, they are still a major part of baseball history and therefore should be in the Hall of Fame in some way, shape, or form. Um, Pete Rose is not a Hall of Famer, but he has stuff in the Hall of Fame because he's baseball's hit leader. His jersey's there, his bat's there, he's got some cleats there because he was a major part of baseball history. 
So I don't know if whether you don't give these guys plaques, but maybe you have a wing of the Hall of Fame dedicated to them. That's, you know, for someone with a much higher pay grade than me to decide. Um, I think you, you can't ignore it. It's not going to go away. It's going to be talked about forever. So you have to do something. Um, what it is, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but you have to do something. Um, I don't think maybe part of it is, is you say anyone who actually tested positive and was suspended is not eligible. And maybe that's a way to curb the steroids going forward is to, to put that stipulation in there. If you test positive and you get, now it's the 80 game suspension. When they first came up with the rules, the 50 game suspension, if you fall under one of those categories, you're not eligible for hall of fame voting. Maybe less guys are trying to cheat the game at that point, but you also got to remember back in the nineties, with the home run chase with McGuire and Sosa in the early 2000s, and even with the Mitchell report, it wasn't illegal at the time for Major League Baseball. Um, so these guys were certainly doing stuff that was not right for the game, but they weren't really cheating either because it wasn't illegal at the time. These substances weren't banned, and then after they were, it became a different thing. So I think you kind of have to look at that whole case and that's what makes it so difficult it's, and, and so much of a gray area versus black and white is because you have the guys that never, ever got caught, the Vons, the Clemens, that we all think did it because all the evidence points to it, but they were never caught versus the guys that served suspensions that were actually caught for. And remember, A-Rod didn't actually serve a suspension for the steroids. He served a suspension for lying about it. So that's a whole other different concept to fall into there so it's just um I, I don't think major league baseball can ignore it and that's what they've tried to do for years and years but with these guys all becoming hall of fame eligible i don't think you can anymore so here's um something that uh just just another food for thought thing i was listening to wfan um Actually, before I get that, I'll get this other thing out of the way. Uh, when you talk about the separate wing in the, in the Hall of Fame for the steroid users, here's why I don't like that idea. It's because now it's just going to become a complete, bloody, backstabbing, finger-pointing game by people trying to throw everyone else under the bus. Well, not necessarily. Say, you, you I, mean, I, I, I genuinely think what's going to happen is they're going to start – people are going to come out and say, oh, that guy? Oh, he now he needs to be moved to that next one. And they're going to talk about rearranging plaques, and I just think that's creating a whole different – mess um and i think it's kind of an avoidable mess um but i was listening to fan i think it was uh, a few weeks ago um right after eli announced his retirement um i am not a giants fan i'm a patriots fan i enjoy watching the giants lose i enjoy watching eli lose but i will say this not a um, fan of that statement he should be in the hall of fame and the opinion that turned me on to that was the Hall of Fame is about historical relevancy. And I can't remember who said it on FAN, but they said, you cannot tell the story of football without saying the name Eli Manning. You also can't say it without Tom Brady. Mm. You can't say it without Vince Lombardi. So can you tell the story of baseball without saying Barry Bonds? No. No. Can no. you tell the story of baseball without saying Alex Rodriguez? No. no. Can you tell the story of baseball without saying Pete Rose? No, even though it's a different thing. Can Actually, you, you can argue. You can argue. You can say. You can tell the story of baseball without saying Alex Rodriguez. I don't think so. I don't think you can. He he had the richest contract in baseball when he signed it with Texas. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I wasn't thinking yeah. about the contract. I was thinking about him winning anything. Because in reality, even when they won in 09, like, that wasn't him. Ah, no. live it was. Oh, that whole postseason? Yes, it was. It was a big part of him. It was him and Hideki Matsui. It Go back Hideki. and look at those numbers, ladies and It was gentlemen. Hideki and the pitchers. Yeah, specifically, uh, Demasio Marte, who uh, Joe Girardi actually cited as, like, the, the kind of the hidden hero that you kind of tend to look, forget to o- overlook. But anyway, oh, you know, Alex Rodriguez was the dude who got the Yankees freaking going in the American League Divisional Series, and I was at that game where he did that. He finally broke out of the postseason slump and went on a tear in the 2009 postseason. Oh, one of the best postseasons of my life right there. Probably the best postseason of my life. He's ramped about it. Um, but, but, yeah, I like – it's about historical relevancy. Can you tell a story about baseball without Mark McGuire? Probably no. not. No. The chase, the chase for the record, like yeah. The chase and, and again, baseball. you, you, you yeah. got the museum that tells Chicks the story. Chicks dig the long ball. And again, you, you you got the museum to tell you the story to make sure we don't ever forget that story. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's very complicated and complex when you get into the individual players. Um, because there's players that are speculated to have done it, but yet never came out or couldn't prove anything. Um, one of those one of those players that that revolves around is and he's constantly lumped in with the steroid users, but yet there's literally no proof, no report, no nothing that he ever used was Mike Piazza. Um, but that was one of the things that people argued kept him off of uh, first ballot Hall of Fame was because you know his name revolved around steroids so much yet he had never been truly connected to any of it and i almost wonder if it's going to take a guy like that who had always had the rumors but you know ended up getting in and then comes out later after he's already been inducted and says hey i did it but that, that's why I'm against having the idea of, like, a second wing or, like, some people say, like, maybe your plaque is in a different color or maybe your plaque is a different star. I'm against labeling it because how much more of a mess would it be if now the argument once Piazza – you look at Piazza, someone like we think could have done it, might have. It, I don't think he did just because he was kind of the same size his whole career. Um, it's not like Barry Bonds where you look at two completely different people if you look at his baseball card. Um but like you can so, say that you can say that about players today too. When you look at players when they come up to like midway through their careers, like I'm not I'm not trying to like throw them under the bus or anything because I hold them in such high regard. But like look at David Wright as a rookie to when he was in the middle of uh, when he was in his prime. The dude was jacked. It just happens because you go from basically training yourself to a professional trainer telling you what to do every freaking day. Well, well, yeah, but like it. But like, I, like I mean, Barry I know, Bonds, I know what you're saying, but yeah, but you know, yeah, but that's why I'm defending my Piazza with that. I'm agreeing with you with that. I'm no, I know, but Piazza. but I'm just saying, like, yeah. like the physical appearance thing is an argument that always kind of like irks me because you have those players that like are so squeaky clean in a way, and they even bulk up so much. I mean, hell, look at Mike Trout over the last five years. Yeah. Like, yeah. like look how much he's bulked up, and it comes from day in day out having the ability and the facilities that the guys at the major league level have that at the minor league level you don't really have yeah but like you 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 don't look the same way for like i don't know seven years in pittsburgh and then show up in san francisco in 1999 and looking like someone stuck a hose up your rear end and inflated you yes i I'm, i'm not disagreeing but like the 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 
the bulking up thing is so gray in a lot of ways. In in that situation, not as much, but yeah. that was really my argument, is that the bulking up argument is very, like, very... It, it's thin at best. Now You're the nail on the head, Scott, by the way. Seven years in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, was it seven? I was right with seven? It was seven, yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, now, let, let's throw in a name of someone who... Maybe back at this time, you would think this person had to be in the Hall of Fame, but we have not brought up this guy's name yet because this dude disappeared off the face of the planet. He is now, a, uh, I believe he's a real estatesman over in like Europe or something like that. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Nope. Not. Tammy Sosa. I mean, I thought that was the name you were getting at, but I did not know anything about that. I think the, the other strike that Sosa has against him was the broken bat incident. Like uh, not only, cork? not only, not only, yeah, the cork bat. Like not only is it the steroids possibility, but then this guy also gets busted with a bat full of bouncy balls. Like, all right, this guy's a fool. Get him out of here. Like that kind of idea. I mean, to me, the guy hit 600 plus home runs. Like, yeah, he, he's probably Hall of Fame worthy. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. But How I did think he that's get over his career. Uh, he was over 600, 609. Okay. Consistently though. So he hit. In 93, he hit 33 home runs, and he didn't hit under 25 again until his last year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 2005, he hit 14. He was out of baseball in 2006, and then in 2007, he came back and hit 21 again. I'm trying to think. What I do not picture him. Was it Baltimore? Texas. He was with Baltimore in 05. I was going to say, I, I do not. Like, my brain does not process him in baseball in 2007. <laughs> Yeah, he was out of baseball in 06 and then came back in 07 with Texas and hit 21 home runs. Man, I just, my brain does not, like, even associate with him in baseball in the late, like, early, mid to late 2000s. Like, so his last, his last real year was 2004 with the Cubs. He hit 35 home runs. That, um, that popped He went back to the Cubs after Baltimore? No, no. He, he was still with the Cubs. 05, he was with Baltimore. Oh, so 04 was his last real year where he put up the numbers, the Sammy Sosa quote-unquote numbers. He had 35 home runs. Um, and then the next year he signed with Baltimore and dropped to 14 and then was out of baseball for a year and came back with Texas. Who was he out for? I don't know. I don't know if he just wasn't signed or, 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 or what. He wasn't suspended. I don't remember a suspension. So I don't know why he was not in baseball in 06. I just wow. know there's a gap here in his stats. Wow. But so, like, 93, he hits 33 home runs, and then it's 33 and 93, 25, 25 and a strike-shortened year in 94, 36, 40, 36, and then he makes the jump to 66, 63, 50, 64, 49. And then 03 is 40, 04 is 35, and then he goes to Baltimore. Zoinks. That's all I got to say about that. Zoinks. So you're, you're, you're talking about a span of 10 years where he hit – at least 25 home runs actually all those years but one he hit at least 30 so the one year in 94 the short striking year he hit 25 interesting no his name is definitely one that pops up all the time when it comes to this uh the steroid conversation but I, i don't know what i mean you've got the you've got roger clemens out there too and i think that's I feel like that's the guy that I picture being the first one in. 
as crazy as that sounds, I th- I I for whatever reason, I feel like if it's gonna happen, it's gonna start with Clemens. I mean, he won seven Cy Young awards. So exactly, like, like the dude was crazy. And and I'm sorry, I don't care how hard you're throwing the ball, steroids does not make you that good of a pitcher. Well, the other part of this is is he was really good with the Red Sox before he bulked up and looked like the Roger Clemens we saw in New York oh, yes. and even Toronto for that matter. So I was, I was about to bring up Toronto because Toronto is where the, where the jump really freaking came, right? I think yeah. he did. Correct me if I'm wrong. Two years in Toronto. Uh, the first year was not very good. It might have been three. I know the first year I want to say wasn't very good. It wasn't until the second or the third year that he actually um, became. So like, he spent two, two years in Toronto. Both years were really good. He went 21 and seven and 20 and six. His why, last why did he year, start going down? Was that his last few years his, in Boston? His, his last year in Boston, he went 10 and 13 with okay. a three six. And then suddenly he goes to Toronto and wins back to back Cy Young awards by going 21 and seven and 20 and six. So, I mean, like when he came up, so he came up in 84, went nine and four with a four, three, then goes seven and five with a three, two, and then, 24 and 4 and 20 and 9 his next two years with an ERA of 2-4 and 2-9. So, like, back in 86, could he potentially have been experimenting with those? I mean, I guess possibly, but, like, I don't I don't remember looking back at videos and thinking this guy's huge. I don't remember thinking he was huge until he went to Toronto. Fair. We had to start in Toronto. Uh, 97, he was in Toronto. Oh, so he didn't win the World Series with the Blue Jays, okay. No, no. He was in Toronto in 97. And like I said, in 96 with Boston, he was 10 and 13. So, you know, he went 10 and 5 the year before that. Then he goes to 10 and 13. His ERA goes up uh, three quarters of a point. Eh, a little bit tough. Hmm. Then he goes to Toronto and suddenly cuts his ERA in half. Yeah, I mean, but- I don't know what. I don't know what could have caused that. Maybe it's just the maybe it's just the strength and conditioning that you get from bulking up like that. Um, that he was able to sustain over the season or something like that, or you know, just be able to endure longer in a game. Um, but I don't know. Like that that's a crazy jump, and I don't I don't see pitchers as the type of position where it's like you get that good just because you're stronger. Look at look, look at Houston. Look at Houston. We we would talk about what was the secret sauce behind their pitchers. Now we think it's foreign substance, a literal sauce that they might have been using. I mean, yes, but I mean, I'm also convinced that every team in baseball does that. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. But like, what? But like, we have to look at that. Be like, what? What was the secret sauce that they they solved down in Houston? Something there was they they were just that good. They just had it fi- figured out. Whatever I don't, pitching was. I don't want to be like. I don't want to be the hater on Garrett Cole because I think he's a phenomenal pitcher. I have thought he was a really good pitcher since he was with the Pirates. Um, remember, everyone, he was with the Pirates. Um, but it makes you wonder, you know, he was good with the Pirates. He wasn't that good until he got to Houston. Um, it, it, it makes you wonder, especially with everything that happened, and somehow we always end up back on Houston. Yeah, because that's, like, unavoidable. But it's kind of like what Charlie Morton did in uh, Tampa. Charlie Morton was great in Tampa. Whatever they're learning in Houston, they're taking with them. Yeah. Whatever it is. So far, that we know. So far. I think what's funny, looking back at the whole Clemens thing, um, his first year in Toronto, he led the league in wins, ERA, 
complete games, shutouts, innings pitched, strikeouts, ERA plus, whip, and whip. That's a lot of categories to lead the league in after you went 10 and 13 the year before. True, but I mean, you can also look at, like, the resurgence of Garrett Cole, like, when he went to Houston. Like, look look at the splits between his last season in Pittsburgh and his first season in Houston. Like, I'm not saying they're that drastic, but they are pretty drastic in comparison. So, Cole's last season in Pittsburgh, he went 12-12 and with a 4-2, and then he goes to Houston and goes 15-5 and with a 2-8. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So, sometimes it can just be the organization... Um, I'm not saying that he was doing anything wrong when he went to Houston, but like sometimes it can just be that change, um, which believe it or not, like eerily similar numbers at the same ages, Garrett Cole, Noah Syndergaard, just saying. No, I know. And, and, and I get completely what you mean about organizations because you see guys that struggle in the New York with the media and then go elsewhere and, and do really, really well. So Sonny Gray. I, so yeah, yeah. I, put the words right I was just going to say that. So, Sonny Gray is is the guy. So he pitched awesome in Oakland. Comes to New York, stinks it up. Goes to the Reds, plays great. Like so, it just and it he, happens sometimes. And he, he he blames it on the organization. Keeps telling wanting to throw the slider. Then see, remember Aaron Boots' response to that? Is that he told us he threw a slider? What do you want else to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, funny enough. Um, funny enough though. Uh, David, uh, not David Price. Um. Rick Porcello was saying something similarly to uh, the uh, Red Sox organization recently, how they got him so um, turned around with the idea that he had to throw a four seam fastball when he's a when he's a sinker ball pitcher, like you know, and he's like, I got so far away from. I'm sorry, not sinker, splitter. Um, and he got so far away from that pitch that that's what won him his Cy Young that he's like, I got so messed up with trying to throw an effective four-seamer that he's like, it was just too much information. It was too much, like, of the other direction from where he was that it got him so turned around is what he was saying. And I hope he's right. But only time will tell, really. I just, I, I think this whole steroid thing in the Hall of Fame, it's it's really, really tough to keep these guys out when, like, like you said, they were such a part of baseball history, no matter who it is. I think the easy solution is if you tested positive and you were suspended for it, then you're not eligible for the hall. Um, that eliminates some guys. And then the rest of them that never tested positive, that you know what? Good for you. You, 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 you shot through the system. Good for you. It is what it is. But, but like you said, it's like Bonds never technically tested positive. Under yeah. that rule, are, are you? Was that? I'm okay with him being in the hall. Yeah, okay. I, I'm okay with him being in the hall too. But are you okay with Alex Rodriguez not being in the hall? Boom. There we go. To me, no. No, because he never tested positive either. Yes, he, he was suspended. No, okay. he was he was suspended he? for lying to Major League Baseball. He was not suspended for te- for steroids. No, he was suspended twice though. Once was for 80 games, once was for a full season. I thought it was, it was twice, too, because he was in the Mitchell Report, wasn't he? Because it well, the Mitchell, bit... the Mitchell Report, I don't count, because that was never supposed to be leaked anyway. Um, and also Big Poppy's name was in there, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, and no one talks about that, by the way. Like, Red Sox fans want to rag on A-Rod all they want. Big Poppy and Manny Ramirez are both in that report. Uh, yeah, Manny was the other one that they, that they completely forgot. That's another dude on top of the world just fell off a cliff. Remember Rafael Palmiro? I did not do steroids, period. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Alex Rodriguez never tested positive for a banned substance. And what was he suspended for? Because he was suspended twice. He was suspended for his misconduct in his probe of Biogenis and his lying to Major League Baseball in its um, uh, uh, enforcement of the investigation for Biogenis. So that what is your? So basically, so basically, like, so I don't know. I kind of, I kind of have an issue with the whole like saying that. Um, like only if you tested positive because essentially he did test positive the test just wasn't run by mlb yeah well if that's the case then david ortiz shouldn't be in and manny ramirez shouldn't be in i mean well there's just there's there's a lot of guys on that mitchell report that therefore won't be in at least it's a hard line it's not a hard line that i'd like to use personally but at least that you're offering a hard line so like, the, yes prob- no. the problem the problem is is we've never actually I don't I don't think they ever actually released all the names on the Mitchell report. I think we saw well I'm scrolling through here and there's some, there's a lot of stuff. So here here's here's some names according to Wikipedia. So take that for what it's worth. That were mentioned in the Mitchell report: Barry Bonds, Jason Giambi, Jeremy Giambi. Benito Santiago, Armando Rios, Gary Sheffield, Randy Velarde, uh, Larry Bigby, Kevin Brown, Roger Clemens, Lenny Dykstra, Matt Franco, Eric Gagne, Jason Grimsley, Jerry Hairston Jr., Glenn Allen Hill, David Justice, Chuck Knobloch, Paul LaDuca. There's a Met guy for you. There's a couple Met guys on there. Yeah. Um... Also Mike Lansing, guy who talks like a sixth grader. Mike Lansing, Denny Neagle, Andy Pettit, Todd Pratt, Brian Roberts, David Segui, Mike Stanton, Miguel Tejada. And to be, that's not John Carlo, everybody. That's no, the pitcher, Mike Stanton. That's the pitcher, Mike Stanton. Miguel Tejada, yeah, yeah. Mo Vaughn, Fernando Vina, Rondell White, Greg Zahn, Rick Enkeel. David Bell, Paul Bird, Jose Canseco, Jay Gibbons, Troy Gloss, Jason Grimsley, Jose Guillen, Gary Matthews Jr., John Rocker, Matt Williams. <laughs> so anyone who is ever likable at any point. <laughs> Alex Cabrera, Juan Gonzalez. That's that that's Mr. Texas Ranger right there. Like there's a lot of names there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Juan Gonzalez, that, that's that's Mr. Texas Rangers right there, and I and oh, I'm the, not the complete with Adrian Mitchell Gonzalez. report. I'm actually talking about Juan Gonzalez. Wow. So I lied. The complete Mitchell report is available from Major League Baseball and MLB.com as a PDF. Oh wow! So I'm going to make it my mission to go through it. It is 409 pages long. So since oh. baseball, there is no baseball in my life for the next couple of weeks, I may just spend some time going through this. Well, I wish you the best of luck, and uh, <laughs> I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> so i guess uh to, to end this i guess we'll follow up with everyone uh next week a little bit with a little bit more detail about the mitchell report we'll see what's going on 
with the whole virus thing and where major league baseball is looking to go from there. And, uh, you know, I just wish everyone the best, hope everyone stays safe and healthy with your families. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for, uh, baseball and sports in general to be back in our lives. I don't think I could have said it better myself. You got anything else, Scott? Nope. I got nothing else. And, uh, I'm frankly quite exhausted from this past just 24 hours of just life and stuff, but, that's what we got to do. But it's cool. Everybody who's sitting and waiting will be with you every step of the way while we're doing this. Bring yes. We'll keep them entertained as well. We'll do our best at least. So reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, whatever type of social media we are on. Uh, feel free to ch- hit us up while we're all kind of waiting around for this. So um, we've been before the pitch. I'm Billy. I'm Scott. I'm Coach Chris. We'll see you all later. Have a good night, everybody.